Merry Christmas, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Amazing the difference a little snow makes, even if it's fake snow, huh? But i got to be honest, I think the preaching pastors have better rhythm than the worship pastors. What do you say? Can, 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 can I get an amen in the house? <laughs> so good to see you guys this morning on this Christmas Sunday morning. I'm, I'm sure that you're just relaxed. All your cooking is done and your gift buying's done. Everything's wrapped and you're just, you're just chilling out till Christmas Eve. I see the stress in your eyes. I won't keep you too long today, but let's, let's continue this, this consideration of what an important event this is, both in our lives and for the world to come. For those of you that are new, we're in a little mini-series where we're talking about some of the prophetic names of Jesus. In other words, the names that were given to him prophetically 800 years before he was born and specifically given to us by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6. If you've got your Bible, you can flip there. We'll put it on the screens. You can go to the Bridge NC app and follow along. All the scriptures are there. But let's read it together, okay? Isaiah chapter six, uh, chapter 9, verse 6 from the NIV, 1, 2, 3, go. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those of you who were here last week know that we talked about what that idea of having a wonderful counselor is all about. Next Sunday, <coughs> we'll talk about this mighty God that we serve as we, the last Sunday of the year, as we approach the new year that's coming. But today, I want to talk a little bit about this Prince of Peace. I want us to understand a little bit more about what this Prince of Peace looks like and, and quite frankly, the benefits that are derived to us and how we can tap into those benefits. So fast forward with me 800 years from the time that Isaiah uttered those words. It's time now that first Christmas, uh, everything is quiet in uh, metropolitan Jerusalem. The, the, uh, the shepherds are out on the hillside watching sheep sleep. It's a quiet night. Nothing's going on. And suddenly angels burst into the sky, glowing like glow sticks, and they begin to shout this wonderful message from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Let's read that one, okay? Do not be afraid. Wait, no, wait, come on now. This, did you hear, did I describe the scene? What's the scene? Stillness of the night, middle of the night, shepherds are uh, trying to stay awake to keep, keep watch on these sheep during the night, and suddenly the sky lights up and it's angels singing a choir. You guys clap for this choir. They did an amazing job. Didn't they do an amazing job today? Thank you, choir. But we're talking about an angelic choir. So let's read it. I want you to get into it. Okay? Come on, let's get into it. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Imagine you're one of the angels. Here we go. You ready? Do not be Afraid, do not be afraid. How many things what the angels did? Do not be afraid. Come on, smile for me. Here we go. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I knew you could do it. I knew it was in you. Come on. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Okay, you guys sign up for, for media ministries, and, and we'll get a drama team going, okay? For Christ the Lord. Th you guys, I'm not sure. Uh, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, come on, here we go. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Isn't it cool how there has been peace on earth ever since. What? There hasn't? 
There's in your house, right? We've already established. You've, you've wrapped all the gifts and you've done all the cooking. It's just, there's, there's no stress points in this season, right? There's a little bit in our family. I mean, the reality for our family is that there are some wonderful things going on and some tough things going on. Kim's mom is in the late stages of dementia, probably the late stages of her life right now. And, we're, and Kim and her siblings are negotiating that process and we're standing with them. Kim and I are in the middle, believe it or not, of moving into a new house during the Christmas season. We're kind of halfway in between, halfway in, halfway out. And we've got company coming from out of state today. I mean, both of us have been under weather most of the most of the week, not feeling real well. Kim is here this morning, but she's coughing. I mean, it's just that, that's life, right? Can I get him in? That's life. That's life goes on and stuff happens. This isn't heaven. This is earth. And, and you, I got my stuff, you got my stuff, all God's children got their stuff, right? The problem is, if we're not careful, we'll start listening to Satan whisper, so what happened to peace on earth, right? Whatever happened to that idea that there was supposed to be peace on earth? Was that a lie? I mean, let's be honest, guys. Even the first Christmas wasn't exactly peaceful. I mean, we're talking about a teenage girl, probably 15 years old or so, who has to explain to her parents and her fiancé that she's pregnant, but she's never been with a man. Right. Yeah, I believe that, right? Then she has to get to that place. She's nine months pregnant, and they're, they're required by law to make a trip to Bethlehem. She rides on the back of a donkey all the way to Bethlehem to have her baby. I mean, you think about, ladies, when you were expecting and you were close to the end, how many of you wanted to ride a mule for day after day after day? It's just, Kim and I lived in Faison when our middle son, Adam, was born, and uh, she, she said it was getting close, so we came up to Wayne Memorial, and, and they said, well, yeah, you're probably in labor, but it's early. Go home, which Kim loved to hear, right? <laughs> so we went to her grandma's house up on Berkeley, and we're hanging out in her house for a little while, and, and then when it's really time, again, Kim's not going back to here again, you know, it's early. So we waited till the very last minute. She said, okay, here we go. Adam was almost born in the car. And so I'm racing just from Berkeley to Wayne Memorial Drive, trying to get there in time. I mean, it's all we can do to get there in time. Uh, she gets in the, the I kid you not, she gets in the wheelchair. They're about to take her in. And her cousin, her, her, her sister's daughter stops by, her niece stops by and says, hey, and Kim, how you doing? And she's you know, in that last stages of transitional labor and trying to be nice and talk to her niece and she said, get me out of here. And so the stress levels are about here and they finally get in. And when I finally rush in doing the paperwork, he said, you better hurry or you're going to miss this birth. I mean, it's stressful. I can't even imagine what Joseph was feeling at the idea that, that not only did they not get to the hospital, there was no hospital. There wasn't even a bed. I mean, how many of you dads, your highest hope in life is that your children would be born in donkey poop? I mean, come on, that's not exactly the vision that we have for a peaceful marriage. So when do we get to the peaceful part? When does that happen? And then, not long after the baby's born, Herod, who's so paranoid about losing his king, hears word that there might be a new king born, and so he decides he's going to kill that baby and winds up saying, let's just kill all the boys two years old and, and younger to make sure we get them. I mean, this is not a peaceful period in history, guys, or for anybody. So how do you reconcile peace on earth with all of that? I mean, did Jesus fail? Was it too hard a task to pull off? The quick answer to that is no way, 
he is wonderful counselor and he is mighty God. That's who he is. But what's the deal? The answer lies in looking at the name a little more closely. And so that's what I want to do this morning in the few minutes that I've got with you. I want to look a little more closely at the name. If you noticed in Isaiah's prophetic words, every one of the names is a compound name. There's two parts to the name. And you have to understand both parts of the name in order to understand the full name and what he's saying as he describes. Remember I told you last week, names in Scripture mean character. They mean attributes. And so you have to look at both parts of the name in order to understand the character and the attribute that we're talking about. So prince in the Hebrew is the word sar, and sar literally means the one in charge. Sar means the Lord. We don't use that term very often, but it's the CEO. It's the big kahuna. It's the chief. It's the general. Whatever term you want to use, you know, Russians use the name czar to say the one who's in charge. Well, that's sar is is the Hebrew for what became czar in the English. So, so the czar is the one in charge. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom that actually means rest. It means wholeness. It's more than just, you know, I'm not nervous right now. Uh, if a Jewish friend wishes you shalom, then what he's saying is, is, I want you to be whole. I want you to be completely healthy. I want every aspect of your life to be working. I want a sense of completeness, body, soul, and spirit. That's what shalom means, and so uh, Shar Shalom is, combines this idea of the supreme commander, the one who's in charge, combined with this idea of completeness and wholeness and rest. So think about my question, where, what happened to this peace on earth thing? Uh, I'll give you a hint, those two things have to go together in order for it to be true. So here's the bottom line. I can't have shalom without sar. Let me say this again. I can't have shalom without sar. Say it with me. I can't have shalom without sar. The problem for many people is they want the shalom, but they want to be in charge of their own lives. And you can't have shalom without sar. We'll unpack how to get that. Shalom in just a minute. But first, let me just mention a couple of ways this kind of whets your appetite that he brings this shalom, that he brings this wholeness, this completeness. One is that Shar Shalom brings comfort to our lives. Here's what Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I give, I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Wh whose peace is Jesus giving us? What does it say? Hello, are you out there? It's his peace. Let, let me illustrate that for you. I remember, believe it or not, I still remember when I took driver's ed. How many of you remember taking driver's ed? One of the most peaceful experiences of your life, right? <laughs> As if. But I remember taking driver's ed, and I actually had two teachers. Took it for a week, and, or two weeks, I guess. And the first week, I had one teacher, and the second week, I had a second teacher. The first week was Coach Formidavall. He was my football coach. And Coach Formidavall was, uh, uh, shall we say, a high-anxiety kind of person. Coach Formidavall was one of those guys, old-school football coach. If you did something wrong, you're working out in full uniform. Uh, if you did something wrong, he'd elbow you across the helmet. Boom! That's not the way you do it. Yes, sir. <laughs> and he might throw in some 
colorful metaphors when he said it. That was kind of the way coaching happened back in the day. Well, he, he taught me driver's ed the same way. I mean, he's just the whole time, buddy, he's, he's yelling, he's nervous, he's jamming on the brakes on his side, he's trying, he's saying, slow down, you're approaching that car too fast, you're coming up in the intersection too fast, you're going too fast, slow down, you're, gonna, you're about to hit that. I mean, just the whole time was just this kind of high anxiety kind of deal. And so the second week I came back to driver's ed, and I was so relieved to find out that Coach Fomadeval decided he didn't want to teach driver's ed anymore, and Mr. Mears taught. Well, I got to chatting with Mr. Mears, and he was more laid-back kind of personality type, and we got to talking, and I said, he said, so have you ever driven before, Jim? I said, yeah, man, I grew up on the farm, you know. I've been driving pickups on the farm and tractors on the farm since I was 12. I know how to drive. He said, okay, let's just drive to the golf course and play golf. And so that's what we did. I drove to the golf course, played golf for three hours. He wrote me down for four hours of driving, and I passed driver's ed. And so, <laughs> kid you not, uh, but, but my point is that week one was a high anxiety kind of environment, and week two was a very peaceful kind of environment. And the difference was who was in charge. Is this making sense to you? Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I was able to relax in his peacefulness because I submitted to it. Here's how Paul put it to the church at Philippi in chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the, say it with me, peace of God. Whose peace? God's peace, which transcends all understanding. What kind of peace does he have? It's so amazing you can't even understand it. You can't even wrap your brain around it. You're at peace, and it doesn't make sense logically to be at peace, but you are. That's the kind of peace he gives. What will that do? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So where do you go, here's the question, when the stresses of life begin to build? The answer is when you go to Shar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, who has peace to give you, you find peace. But don't forget, you can't have shalom without sar. In fact, when my stress levels start going up, I immediately begin to recognize I'm trying to be sar in a situation over which I have no control. And my stress level is an indicator of that. The second kind of peace that he gives us is what I just simply call relief from guilt. Shalom brings peace, uh, and which is a relief from guilt. Almost nothing produces more anxiety than a guilty feeling that you live in fear of being found out. Can I get an amen? None of you ever felt that before, so you don't know, but you'll, you'll trust that I'm telling you the truth, right? Here's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have What? Peace with God through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. So I can live at peace with a holy God, not because I'm good enough to be at peace with him, but because of what Jesus Christ did for me. So through him, I don't have to live in the stress of my guilt. I can be relieved from that because I've put my faith in Shar Shalom. Not because I've put my faith in maybe I did enough good things, maybe I, I did more good than bad, maybe I'll be okay. I can put my faith in Shar Shalom. The result is I don't have to live in fear of being found out. Hear me, guys. When a holy God sees our mess-ups, 
He sees our failures. He sees the things that we, we did we shouldn't have done or the things we shouldn't have done that we did. When he, see, he doesn't see that. He doesn't see us. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us. But only when you make him sar in your life. And I've got to be honest with you guys. It's been almost 50 years ago, but I still remember that moment of relief when I finally came to Jesus and said, I want you to be in charge from now on. Understand, I grew up in church. I, I, you know, I was rocked in a hole in this cradle. I was 10 days old the first day my mom took me to church, and I, I'm not sure I've missed 10 Sundays since. I mean, I'm just, you know, I go on vacation, find a little church to go to. I just, you know, church is a part of my life, particularly on Sundays, but, but every, every part of my life. And so I grew up in church, and I knew the truth. I was blessed with a godly mother who just went home to be with the Lord about three years ago, and a godly grandmother who went to be with the Lord 20 years ago and, and was considered the mother of our home church. What, what a wonderful heritage that I have in my mother and grandmother. So I knew the truth. I knew the Prince of Peace was available to me, but I wanted to be in charge of my destiny. I wanted to be in charge of my life. I wanted to make my own decisions. I had a plan for my life. I knew who I was going to be and what I was going to do. I was going to be a rock star. I mean, I just knew I was going to rock out, and, and I was going to be famous and rich. and, and all, the, all the, I just had all kinds of dreams of what I was going to be one day. And every now and then, you know, I, 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 would, I would say, man, I'm at peace. I'm just feeling good. This is coming together for me. But, you know, every now and then I'd be at a party. I'd be about three sheets in the wind. And it'd wash over me, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. Tell me this is not all there is. And, and it would just wash right back over me. And yeah, I abused alcohol and I abused girls and I abused people. abused myself during that period. All trying to put a band-aid on the guilt that I carried because I knew I was wrong. And then I gave my life to Jesus. And I said, I am I am yours. If you'll have me, I am yours. And this amazing peace washed over me that I cannot explain. Guys, if you haven't had that kind of an experience with God, I beg you, don't leave this room until you make him Lord of your life because there is a relief from the guilt of our lives that comes, not because we're finally good enough because none of us are, but because now we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and a holy God can receive us because of what Jesus has done for me. And I'm guessing that I'm not the only one in this room that understands what I'm talking about. Hello, are you out there? I'm guessing there's more of you sitting out there that's saying ah, that, that Jim is not the only one in this room that's lied. Jim's not the only one in this room that's manipulated people. Jim's not the only one in this room that's abused substances. Jim's not the only one in this room that's taken advantage of people for some selfish motivation. Jim's not the only one. You, you want me to stop or are we together yet? We're in this together, guys. <laughs> some of you visiting today say, man, what kind of church is this? <laughs> it's just full of murderers and thieves and manipulators and crooks. And just, yeah, You know what kind of church this is? It's the kind of church that says, thank you, Jesus, you accept me just the way I am. You don't even care where I've come from. You don't even care how far I've come in this journey. All you care about is the direction of my feet from this point forward. Oh, you don't care about where I've been. You care about where I'm going. 
and you love me just the way I am, but you love me too much for me to stay the way I am. You want me to go and grow and get better and get stronger and be more like him. That's, that's the kind of church this is. It's a church that understands that at the end of the day, every one of us got up this morning with one thing in common. We desperately need Jesus a church that understands that without him there is no peace. But in him, to know him is to know peace. And can I just throw this in? Some of you came here this morning or you're watching online right now and you're carrying something and God sent this white-haired preacher to say to you, you've carried it long enough. It's time for you to lay it down at the foot of the cross and let Jesus cover that thing. It's time for you to stop feeling guilty about something that's in your past because you're making it your present and defining your future. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. But there is no shalom without Sar. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through what? The blood of Christ. For Christ himself is our peace. Before Jesus, guilt had my peace for lunch. But now Jesus himself is my peace. Peace. Now, here's the surprising problem, and that is for many of us in this room, we've come to Jesus, we've given him our lives, we've gotten a fresh start, we got a sense of peace, but after a little while, the stresses of life begin to mill up again, and before you know it, we're right back into this stressed anxiety kind of mode. We've established our eternity is at peace, but our today is still struggling. So in the few minutes I've got before I let you go, I'll just take a couple of minutes. I just want to make sure that you understand that you can have his peace, not just for your eternity. You can have his peace today. And whatever, what's going on in your life? But there are three parts of it. I call it the ABCs of finding his peace. So let me just walk through them right quick. And, and, and I want you to get your wheels turning in your head. I want you to lean in and get this. Because it's a, it's a little bit of a deep teaching. I want you to get it from Scripture and understand what I'm trying to say, because at the end of the day, I want this to be the Christmas marked by shalom. But there is no shalom without sar. The A in the ABC stands for acknowledge the root of the problem. If you really want peace, if you really want shalom, you've got to acknowledge the root of the problem. The, the biggest mistake that we make when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling stressed out, when we lose our peace, is we think externally, we think superficially, we think circumstantially, situationally, when in fact there is a root problem that we have to deal with. If you actually want to be at peace, you've got to go to the root of the issue, not just the fruit of the issue. How many know that if I've got a tree and it's producing fruit, I can cut that tree off at the, at the ground, but if there's a healthy root system there, it's going to grow up back and it's going to create the same fruit again. Does that make sense? So you've got to go to the root of the issue if you're ever going to be at peace for life enter into eternity. Now, here's, here's the surprise for some people, and that is that the root is common to us all. 
whatever anxiety you might be feeling, whatever situational or experiential or circumstantial situation you're in that you think might be creating a lack of stress or anxiety in your life, the root problem is the same for every one of us. What I need you to understand is when something steals your joy or disturbs your peace, it has more to do with attitudes than it does actions. It has more to do with an attitude than it does an action. It's the basic attitude that we bring toward God, toward ourselves, toward life. It's, and this attitude has a name. It's, it's not a word you hear very much these days. It's not a very popular word these days. It's not a word that a lot of people like to use. We've come up with ways to say this in kind of easy ways so it's a little more palatable. We try not to, to you know, talk. You don't hear politicians bringing it up. So it's kind of uncool and unhip to say. It's not very sophisticated. We try to sugarcoat it. But there's a word for this attitude that ultimately steals our peace. Are you ready for it? I know I've realized we're in mixed company, but I'm going to say it, okay? Brace yourself. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll spell it so it'll be easier to take, okay? You know what the word is? Have you figured out what the word is yet? It's S-I-N. It's sin. At the end of the day, the thing that steals our joy, disturbs our peace, is sin. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I need you to understand what I'm saying, though. Sin is not losing your temper and blowing your cool. Sin is not getting drunk. Sin is not telling a lie. Those are the results of sin. Those are what the Bible calls sins. Sin is an attitude that says, I want his shalom. I just don't want him to be sorry. Sin is an attitude that says, I want what he has that will benefit me, but I want to be in control of my own life. I want to be the captain of my own fate. Thank you very much. I will be my own sar. That's the attitude that is at the root of every problem we ever have. And if you want shalom, you've got to go to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is not sins. It's sin. It's an attitude that says, I can handle this. I know what's best. I got this one. I'll trust God with my eternity, but I'm not going to trust him with this thing that's going on right now. I mean, I wouldn't do what he said, so I don't care what he said. I'm in charge. God, I'll call you if I need you. We treat him like a waiter in a restaurant that we don't want so close as to intrude on our conversation, but want him him close enough that our water glass gets a little bit empty. We want him there filling it up quickly. That's the attitude I'm talking about. So let me be as clear as I know how. If you're thinking right now, you know, I sure hope my, I sure hope my spouse is listening today. I sure wish my family member was here today because they need to hear this. You're the one I'm talking to. There isn't a soul among us that doesn't wrestle with this. Somebody say amen. 1 John 1, 8, you just saved yourself from a lot of embarrassment by saying amen. Those that didn't, I don't know what to say for you. Here we go. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, you see the difference? 
I, we could spend time digging into the Greek, and I'll tell you the difference, and we'll tend to do that. But if we say we have no sin, no attitude that says, I want to be in charge, we're fooling ourselves. But if we confess our sins, those things that we do because of that attitude, those things that we do because we want to be in charge, God says he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs that we have done. He will deal with those sins. He will cover those sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, you have to deal with the attitude. He'll forgive you for the things you've done or failed to do, but you have to decide whether to hold on to the attitude that says, I'm in charge. And if you say you don't have that, the Bible says, you need to know you're not fooling God. You're not even fooling the people in your life. You're only fooling God. Yourself. In other words, in order to stop defeating myself, I've got to stop deceiving myself. Say it with me. In order to stop defeating myself, I have to stop deceiving myself. When you say, you know, I, I know I'm doing some stuff that probably isn't good for me right now, but, 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 you know, it's not really a problem. You know, under my circumstances, it's not that big a deal. I'm here to tell you it's a big deal. But it's not even the biggest deal. The biggest deal is that those things are an evidence that you haven't dealt with. Who gets to be in charge of my life? The biggest deal is that you want shalom without sar, and you can't have peace without him. Oh, give me a break, Pastor. I, I can handle this thing. I don't need God. I'll call him if I need him. Well, that's the attitude I'm talking about. Because hear me, he didn't make us to, have, to be able to handle life alone. And he didn't make us for human beings to be able to fill all those voids in our lives either. You see, one of the big mistakes we make when we're trying to be in charge of our own lives is we recognize there's some relational emptiness in us. So what do we do? We try to get into a human relationship and hope that human relationship will meet all of our relational needs. And it's not possible. It's not possible. So if you expect your wife or your husband to meet all of your relational needs, guess what you just did? You just set them up for failure because they aren't capable of that. If you're expecting your parents or your children or your grandparents or your pastor or your church to meet all of your relational needs, you just set all those people up for failure because that's not possible. At the end of the day, there is a God-shaped void in all of us, and the only one that fits that void is the God who created it, and he created it on purpose so that you would be in relationship with him. Am I saying don't have healthy human relationships? Of course not. There's a part of our lives that we need each other, but there's also a part of, of our lives where human relationships will never meet the need. If you want shalom, you've got to have him as sorry. The problem is for many of us, we have to hit bottom before we recognize. We have to get to that place where God is all we have, but we finally, before we finally realize he ultimately is all we need. Here's how Jesus said it, John 8, 34. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The fact that there are still sins in your life says that you haven't completely dealt with the attitude of I get to be in 
charge. And I mentioned a moment ago that when the stress levels go up in my life, I've come to understand that it may not be a sins issue. It is probably a sin issue. I'm trying to control something over which I have no control rather than saying, God, I need you to take over this one. I'm going to trust you with this one. Because anything I hold back from him is a foothold for Satan to bring stress into my life. The Pastor Jim paraphrase of John 8.34 is whatever you refuse to admit you need help with ultimately enslaves you. Whatever you refuse to admit, you know, I, I, I'm holding on to this and I need to give it to God. I'm trying to control this and, I'm, and, and I don't have any control. Only God has control. I'm trying to manage this thing and make it be the way I want it. Anything that I continue to hold on to and will not admit that I need God at the heart of this will ultimately enslave us. But when you make him sar, you just took a huge step toward peace. I need to let you know that you're not likely to deal with the stuff. I realize that was a kind of a, a meaty teaching for you to wrestle with and struggle with, and I hope that we'll continue to, but I also need you to know that you're probably not going to do A or C without B, and B is simply you got to believe Jesus came to bring you peace. You've got to believe that he really did come to bring peace on earth on whom his favor rests. You've got to really believe that peace is available to you. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 5, who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Thank God it has been done by Jesus Christ our, what's the word? What, 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 what are some other words for Lord? Sar? CEO, big Kona, guy in charge, general, czar. Where does peace come from? When you make him Lord of your life. Paul said, he has set me free. When I dealt with the attitude that says I'm in charge, I'll call you when I need you. When I finally say, no, I'm not in charge, you are he will set you free. The answer to your anxiety is a person. His name is Jesus Christ, and that's ultimately what Christmas is all about. That's what Paul said in chapter 8 of Romans. For the power of the life-giving spirit, and this power is mine through Christ Jesus, has freed me from the vicious circle of sin and death. Want to be free from the cycle of dysfunction and the cycle toward death? It's an attitude. An attitude that says, I am God, that ultimately leads to the death of peace. The attitude that says, he's in charge, I'm not, leads to health and life and a fresh start. Can I segue just a minute to tell you something that's been concerning me for some time now about what's going on in the modern American church. An awful lot of times we, we find ourselves uh, talking about church from a consumer perspective, a consumer mentality. We say, well, boy, church was really good today. Boy, the music was really good today. Boy, the 
the preacher was really funny today. I had a good time today. Boy, the preacher told me some things today that just, you know, really made sense. And, and so it was almost like going to a, a, to a concert uh, finished off by a motivational speaker. And we think, boy, I, we had a great service today. And I need, to, I need you to understand there's nothing wrong with that. I love to have fun in church. And obviously our music around here is committed to excellence. I love all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, guys, if you're trying to break a cycle of death, laughing in church, having a good time hearing good music and being motivated by a preacher to say you can do this is not going to get you there. It'd be kind of like going down to the beach and finding a dead seagull and picking him up and, and saying, okay, let me teach you some, some techniques of aerodynamic design and then throw him up in the air and expect him to fly. You see, it takes more at the end of the day than learning something new or being motivated by some inspirational speech. At the end of the day, we don't need new information. We need new life. And he's the life giver. And so it begins by saying, yes, I want your shalom, but yes, I want you to be my sar. How do you get that? By acknowledging that we don't always get that right. And by believing that Jesus really did come to give you peace, which leads me to the final thing in Osh. And that is this letter C says, I commit all that I am to Shar Shalom. And that's where the rubber meets the road, guys. On this Christmas Sunday, you may say, boy, that was kind of a, a heady or heavy message, Pastor, for Christmas. I thought we'd just kind of read the Christmas story and have some fun. Yeah, but this is the heart of the Christmas story, guys. This is why Jesus came. This is what he came to do. He came to give us peace. But the only way that peace comes is when he, in fact, is the prince of peace in our lives. And you can't give him some areas and hold on to others because those that you've held on to become a foothold for Satan to bring anxiety into your life. This is a Jesus gets to be CEO or not. He will not be your co-pilot because then you will crash the plane and he'll get the plane. He's either the pilot or he's not. So how do you do? First Thessalonians 5, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. How? Through and through. That's every corner, every nook and cranny, every part of your heart. Sanctify means to be set apart, made clean, available for his service. All the way through, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for. That's where shalom lives when I say, Jesus, I am yours. Let's pray. Keep your hands bowed for just a minute. I want to... I want us to pray together, but I'll illustrate this one more time before we pray. I had the privilege of praying with a man who became a good friend, came to Christ. He was close to 50 before he came to Christ. A lot of alcoholism in his family and a lot of alcoholism in his, in his life. <clears throat> Big into sports. He uh, <clears throat> played college ball at a premier school, actually was in the NFL draft, wound up in the Canadian Football League for a couple of years before he blew out his knee. 
his whole identity was sports and football, and he fell into alcohol to drown his pain. He worked and, you know, held down a job, but he wasn't at peace for the next 20 years. When I had a chance to meet him and introduced him to Jesus, the potential that Jesus could be his peace, he, he said, Marilyn, where do I sign on for that? That's what I need. That's what I want. He asked Jesus to come into his life. Some few weeks after that, I was talking with him one day, and he said, you know, Pastor, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm really excited about my new relationship with Jesus and where it's going to take me. I've got to be honest, I'm still struggling in a bunch of areas of my life. He said, I put Jesus on my team, he said, but my team's having, still having a bad year. And I said, Steve, I'm glad he's on your team. When is he going to become general manager? And it rocked his world. He did a double take and said, I, I don't know. That's a big one. Yes, sir, it is. But peace, shalom, is on the other side of that decision. So my question to you this morning before we pray, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, my question to you this morning is, okay, maybe he's on your team. Is he general manager? Is he the one calling the shots? Is he the one setting the agenda? Is he the one defining who you are and how you view yourself? Chances are if he's not, anxiety is a part of your life. Chances are, if he is, you're at peace no matter what life throws at you. So if you're not there, if you can't say, man, when Jesus came, it really is peace on earth, not circumstantial, down deep, a, pa- a peace that passes my own understanding. If you can't say that, would you pray this simple prayer with me? Pray it out loud, pray it silently, but goes something like this, Jesus, I don't just want your peace, I want you. And I don't just want you on my team, I want you in charge. I keep messing things up. I want you to give me a new life and a fresh start. All I am from this point forward is yours. All I have, all I do from this day on, is yours. And I thank you for the peace that will come because I believe that's why you came. In Jesus' name, Father, you know who's praying, you know what's going on in every individual, every family that's represented in this room and online. I pray that you give us the assurance that peace is ours when you are our SAR. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.